All right, welcome for a special edition of our podcast, Behind the Wheels. My name is DJ Artistic. I am a DJ based in Los Angeles, California, who's just a, uh, you know, international DJ. I love doing everything from parties to clubs and just discussing everything about black music. Let me introduce you to my co-host, Mr. EB. EB, what's good? What's going on, everybody? This is EB. I am the self-professed musicologist based in Brooklyn, New York. I am a writer, blogger, content creator, and lover of all things black and soulful so uh definitely uh black music as it pertains to the way it makes us feel groove and move that's what it's about and right now we have a special episode for you this episode is a collaboration with weeksville heritage center make sure to check them out at weeksvillesociety.org we're doing this for black music month so it's perfect timing for us to have a you know our podcast about black music so to get into it you know just to introduce everything you know we are about to be basically wide open again. The pandemic is not necessarily over, but we're acting like it is. You know, people are tired of being inside the house, and that means that parties are going to be back. That means it's going to be concerts and everything else. And with that, one of the main things that we look forward to as lovers of music is just about the song of the summer and just the music that's going to get us, you know, get us through the summer, the soundtrack of the summer. And uh, last year, because 2020 was basically canceled, it didn't really count. It was kind of hard to say if we even had anything like that. If so, I would say it was probably Savage, the Beyonce, and Meg, the Stallion. I mean, TikTok was our club last year. That's all we had was TikTok and social media. But with stuff being back open, as a DJ, I'm definitely looking to see like what song is going to make people move a, a lot. And looking historically, it's crazy that 25 years ago was 96. And I always think about that summer because it had so many anthems. We had My Boo from Ghost Town DJs. We had the 112 Only You. We had Nas and Lauryn Hill, If I Ruled the World. We had all those classics. So I'm sure we're not going to have anything that legendary, but maybe so. Who knows? Like, What, what do you think about it so far? I was kind of hoping that the song by uh, Amorphous, DJ Callan, and Fat Joe would be um, the song of the summer for a lot of people because, it, yeah. you know, it's light with the sample. And, I mean, it's called Sunshine, the light. And, you know, yeah. it's like we coming out of caves anyway. Like, everybody's <laughs> serious. Thinks, in their house so i was hoping that would be the song of the summer but i, I don't i don't think it's gonna be uh as hot everywhere as it is in new york so um mm. I, I i remember the last big song of the summer and the song that i always associate with summer still is a marie's why don't we fall in love like when i hear that oh, too yeah. it's like first day of summer like all right a marie's walking down the street with her shorts <laughs> on yeah you yep. know she on somebody block at the block party like i'm thinking that's what yeah. I want to feel, but I don't know where we're going to get that from. I'm hoping yeah. that somebody, some R&B singer drops uh, a nice banger. And it would be nice if we got one R&B and one hip-hop. And it's not mm -hmm. like, you know, an R&B song when they throw a rapper on the yeah. bridge or something. A That's true, like, I don't want that. I want a true... A true R&B song. Yeah, I want this, an anthem. Yeah, I want an anthem. I get it, because I mean, looking back, the 90s just had so much summertime music. I mean, it's been 30 years since we had summertime from uh, Fresh Prince and Will Smith. So that dropped like in May of 91. So the 90s had that summertime vibe. The last 10 years, most songs of the summer have been more so hip-hop, like you like you kind of discussed. Um I mean, I do remember 10 years ago, it was I'm On One. That was Drake and Wayne. Yeah. And Drake has had a couple each summer. He's had, like, I know 2016, he had the... Everybody remembers those clubs going from One Dance to Controller, back to back to, to work from Rihanna. That little mm -hmm. three-piece would be at every single club. And 
I remember Cardi B on 2017. Once we got to like, like July, late July, it was, it was nothing but Bodak Yellow. I remember 2014 was all about uh, Bobby Smurda. By the time it was late July, early August, it was Smurda throwing your hat in the sky. So I do remember those those years. Those stand out to me a little bit. Um, I would say the front runners so far on the more R and B ish tip. I would probably say Wizkid Essence. It's Afro Beats, mm. but that song is just a vibe, and it's one of those where everyone who's an Afrobeats fan has been complaining about hearing Joanna and If and and Yay right. at the club every single party, especially on the East Coast. But I feel like Essence got to be that next one that's going to reach that level. And I would say for the club club right now, it's looking like City Girls Twerk Letter is making some noise. I mean, for the for the R&B one, I, I was kind of hoping that uh, Silk Sonic would have dropped yeah, another yeah. song by now. Like, they need it. Yeah, just something a little more upbeat than Leave the Door Open. But, you yeah. know, something that just feels like summer. And I, I think they probably have a better chance of doing it than a lot of other artists. But it's it's too hard to tell. Like, I don't know what that sound, what that what their summer's going to sound like. What they're going for. Yeah. We, we've been talking about the, that the last few weeks. Like, what are they going to do? Like, today they did actually drop a um, kind of a 30-second a commercial for something. They had somebody else singing with them. I think mm-hmm. uh, D Miles was singing, and it was just a, a, a random jingle. But even that jingle was fire. I'm like, are y'all just teasing us? Are y'all setting us up to hit us with a ten piece? You ain't, you ain't gonna announce it. You're not gonna promote it. Is this gonna be? We wake up Friday morning and it's out, or are we gonna be waiting for five years and never get anything? Like, mm. it's hard to say. Like, I think mm. they're gonna drop something for us, but I, so I they, just hope either they're gonna yeah. do like a Beyonce like surprise, yeah. or they're yeah. gonna do a Rihanna like we just ain't gonna <laughs> never drop it. Like y'all just gonna yeah. wait. I can't tell, but I think because they, they've been performing a lot, they've been performing that song a lot, they have to be setting us up for something else. I don't think they're going to leave us hanging at that level. So if they drop not it, this summer. Come on. This they is can't. The first, we, after everybody's been locked up in the house, like yeah. everybody's ready for anything. Honestly, I'm, I'm pretty sure that a lot of uh, mediocre songs will actually pick up this summer because people are just yeah. tired of being in the house. So the first That's song true. you hear in the club, <laughs> the first song you hear at the cookout is going to yeah. be your song. Yeah, that's what might end up happening. So we're going to see about it. We're going to see what happens with that. So so to, moving on to our segment called The Rewind. The Rewind segment is where we discuss artists from the past that we feel may be unsung, um, may be legendary. They may be, you know, generational, regional, whatever it is. But we always like to give our flowers to the artists who are out there who have made major impact in the past, uh, whether it was from songs, album, production, behind the, the scenes, whatever it is. So... EB for this for this episode, who would you like to highlight for your rewind pick? Oh man, one of my favorite artists ever, uh, Brooklyn's own Stephanie Brooklyn. Mills. Brooklyn's okay, own okay. Miss Stephanie Mills. Represent. Uh, born right in Bed Stuy, uh, she was singing at Cornerstone Baptist Church. That's where she, you know, tightened her skills. But by the age of nine, she was already in uh, the Broadway musical Maggie Flynn. Wow. When she was 11, she won Amateur Night at the Apollo for six weeks straight. And, oh, um, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she became an opening act for the Osley Brothers, which is kind of strange because, you know, you can't imagine an 11-year-old opening for the Osley Brothers because that don't that don't go together. But I can't even picture that's, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 that was her path. She uh, started with the Osleys or opening for them, and she signed to Paramount. Um, no hits were produced. Then she signed to Motown. Um, but where most people really, really know her from is she was um, in The Wiz. The Wiz you know, she yeah. played Dorothy in the Broadway 
version of The Wiz. Um, mm-hmm. Later, she hooked up with James and Tume, who we've sh- showed love here before, and Reggie Lucas, and that's when her career really got started. I mean, she's released 15 albums during her lifetime, and she's had so many hits from What You Gonna Do With My Lovin', Put Your Body In It, Never Knew Love Like This Before, I Feel Good All Over, The Power of Love, Putting a Rush On Me, Something In The Way You Make Me Feel, like Stephanie Mills just hits on hits on hits. And Stephanie Mills is one of the biggest supporters of uh, black music. She is always, always advocating for um, our artists to uh, receive the proper love and respect that they should to receive top pay. So I just felt it proper to, you know, during this Black Music Month, kind of highlight Miss Stephanie Mills and uh, maybe introduce a new generation to, you know, the magic of her. I mean, like, like I said, she's been singing since she was like four years old so she this is a lifetime thing for her and she ran the 80s like stephanie is definitely the truth stephanie mills is one of those legendary artists like you said um i feel like if you were there in that era you definitely know all about her if you're younger and you're a music head you know about her but maybe not in depth if you're younger and you're not super connected to past to the 70s and 80s is where you might say oh the girl from the Wiz," you know like they might know her from connecting her to something else but like you said, she has some classics that you you still hear at, at those day parties and those block parties. Like, yeah. what you gonna do with my loving? Those songs, like you, when those come on, you start jamming. It just hits you. Like, I don't care if you never heard it before. It, it's still it's a feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's that black music feeling, and, she, and yeah. she like she's so visible on social media now. But um, I've actually had the pleasure of seeing her perform live many many times and it's crazy it's almost like a frankie beverly and Maze experience where mm-hmm. it feels like a family reunion and everybody is just like <laughs> on one accord but yeah. her voice is amazing still it's, it sounds it's so like, clear yeah it's, it's so clear and there's so much power there so yeah. um she is one of the ones who you know throughout the 80s she did her thing throughout the disco and then she brought in yeah you know, she never really did new jack swing but she definitely was she doing did. like the the synthesized the, um, type of yeah she she yeah. started venturing into that lane and which was yeah. cool for her because it it gave her it gave her a couple hits too but um yeah. you know she was one of those people who hit right before like new jack swing and, and hip hop influence yeah 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 it was it was one of those things but she's always showed love she always showing love to hip hop as well so it's not just yeah. a love for R and B but she's always showing love to hip hop artists. Definitely. Uh, the thing about a lot of artists from her, her generation, we always talk about how a lot of the ones who came right before hip hop and New Jack Swing took over, it was hard to make that transition because it was the sound changed so much. I mean, so much. everything about the image to it, the dancing with it. But at the same time, her and a lot of artists from her era, they still can live from it because it's where her and even how we mentioned Patrice in previous episodes and yep. even uh, Denise Williams type because they, for one, they were actual singers, like you said, because they came from yep. that era where you had to actually sing to get on. And mm-hmm. the fact that she's winning Apollo, she wasn't just somebody who was like an industry plant. It wasn't just, all right, she's cute, so let's just give her some little hits. Let's write her some hits. She was a true musician, so it, it shows the fact that she's still relevant today is because she really was a student of that craft and she actually honed honed it and everything, and it still it still shows to this day to me. Yeah, I mean, six weeks at the Apollo, like, and and this is <laughs> not this is back in the '70s, so this yeah. is when like it was brutal. So yeah, I'm sure to it, win yeah. for six weeks straight, that means you at, at 11 years old. <laughs> <laughs> they don't care how old you are. Like Lauren yeah, Hill got booed. They, 
Yeah, Lauren exactly. was 12 and got booed. They did not and care. She, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So they don't yeah. care. But to do it back then and yeah. to be so young, that really speaks to her talent because, you know, that That's audience true. would tear you apart. It was all love, but they would tear you apart. In a it was brutal. Yeah. They, they probably boo you and see you in the hallway. Like, look, look, baby girl, you got to hit this note a little bit strong. You got to <laughs> yeah. go into it with a little bit more confidence. But it was, it was a loving boo. But, you know, but... it was a loving boo. But if you was bad, they had <laughs> yeah. to get you out of there. That's but they didn't was, get Stephanie so. out of there. Yeah, seriously. So salute to Stephanie Mills. So uh, for my pick this week is going to be totally different, but I'm going to tie it in in a, in a different way because this is all about, you know, representing Brooklyn today too. So I'm going with DJ Quick. And the way I'm tying this in initially is like this. So back in 2003, uh, Jay-Z, who is known as basically the greatest rapper ever to most of us, at least one of the greatest, straight from Brooklyn, he had his supposed supposedly final album called The Black Album that most of us knew he was not really going to retire. We knew he was coming back like Zorg wearing the 4-5, as he said. But I remember everybody saw those ads in the source, and the ads were saying 14 songs, 14 producers. And it had the legends that we already expected. Timberland, it had Pharrell, it had Dre, it had... It even had Eminem, who, as a producer, no, he's not a legend, but, you know, we respect him for what he did. It had Ninth Wonder, who was fresh off of that Little Brother album, The Listening, so... Mm -hmm. We're hyped to see that. And then it had a couple more. It had Just Blaze, obviously. It had Kanye, obviously. Then it had DJ Quick. And it's where I remember being at FAMU. I remember people who were from the East Coast were, were like, he got everybody on there. And then we were all like, hey, he got Quick on there too. And they were like, Quick, uh, the old rapper who had the Jerry Curl back in the day, like him, like why is he on there? And we were like, what you mean, why? And it, it showed, like back then, there was a huge disconnect between just the regional you know, discussions because... There were a lot of regional artists who might not have gotten as big in different places, but Quick is a very unique situation of being generational and regional, where it was, he was definitely huge outside of LA in the early, early 90s, but it was right before the West Coast truly took off. So he came out in 91, he had Quick as the name. Everybody knows tonight, most folks know Born and Raised in Compton, but tonight he sampled Clear along with Betty Wright. So that's a classic that everybody knows, basically a hip hop classic. Then he came back with Way Too Funky, which was not as good of an album, but it was still solid. He was still big with that. He had a song called Just Like Compton, where he talked about touring all these different cities, but mainly the Midwest and the South. So he didn't really discuss the East Coast because at that time it was kind of original, where if you were an L.A. artist who wasn't N.W.A., Ice-T, Ice Cube, of course, like who came from N.W.A., it was where you didn't get the same type of love. But he, he discussed Denver and San Antonio, and he was big in these, these cities that didn't really have a huge hip-hop scene but it was where once Dre and Snoop came in 92, 93, you even had Coolio, who was huge in 94. And you had these different West Coast artists who got big. 40 and Short came. Quick kind of fell by the wayside for a minute. He had a couple, you know, industry incidents. And then he dropped. He came back in 95. And it was huge in the West Coast, but wasn't as big everywhere else. He had Safe and Sound. And that, that album was definitely a classic. But the thing about him, he was a, a great, great producer. And... Even at that level, before he he got to the early, I mean, to the late 90s, he was one of the best producers in the game. He was working a lot with with Death Row, and a lot of folks know that he had, he had a lot of work with Tupac. So he mixed most of Tupac's album, All Eyes On Me. He produced the song Hearts of Men on there. He worked on Above the Rim and all these type of albums. And then 97 comes. So what's interesting about West Coast rap is that 96 is when everybody sees that it fell off because mainly when Tupac died, People saw that it fell off, but it's you know it's a lot of stories behind that. But '97 comes, and Quick produced what was probably the biggest West Coast um, kind of regional album called Street Gospel for Sugar Free, 
And the thing about it is that as much as people see, you know, a lot of times if you're not from a certain region, if you're not from the South, you don't understand the impact of UGK. If you're not from Florida specifically, you don't, you don't get how big Sugar Daddy uh, was. When it comes to Sugar Free and Quick, it's where they were huge here. But when you listen to it as a music fan, you, you actually understand what made it so big. Quick was not just producing with just generic G-Funk type beats. He wasn't just taking the George Clinton loop. He wasn't taking that Roger loop. He was actually a full-on musician. He was playing all these chords. He had a real instrumentation, the bass lines, the guitars. And at the same time, he had a big hit with Tony, Tony, Tony called Let's Get Down. He produced that, and a lot of folks know that song was big. And he actually inspired songs like Go Deep that Giant Jackson had. If you hear Go Deep, that's Jimmy Jam and Terry, but they they used Quick Style on there. And uh, throughout the years, he was known for just um, for having big hits regionally, but he was actually producing for a lot of artists outside of just the West. So he had songs he did for Charlie Wilson and Gap Band. He had a song for uh, for Deborah Cox. He had a song for Wendy Houston he did with Raphael Sadiq. And he was known for making these great musical productions. And to me, it felt like he was almost overqualified as a rap producer, which sounds crazy, but he didn't really have that hip-hop boom-bap sound. He didn't have the high-energy crunk sound when crunk got big. So Mm -hmm. he kind of got washed in there. But I think anybody who listens back to it as a music head, they appreciate it. So when I'm on Twitter, whenever I see certain debates, I purposely kind of trolled and had a debate asking people, who would you pick, Swiss Beats or DJ Quick? And 90% of the people said DJ Quick. And the, the 10% who said Swiss were like, oh, that's because we had West Coast followers. Next thing you know, all my Midwest folks, my down south folks, and a couple from Jersey, D.C., New York were like, nah, I'm not from the West, but I rock with Quick way harder. Mm-hmm. Like, Swiss had the club tracks, but when it comes to being the musician, Quick was like number one with that. So all that to say, looking at the Black Album, that's the reason that Jay-Z picked them. And it's crazy that most Jay-Z fans didn't even understand why he picked Quick to be on that album. And I will also say, as Quick's biggest fans, basically, I was not happy about that song that came out. <laughs> I was not happy about Justify My Thug. When I heard the song, for one, I looked at the, at the credits and I said, is that really quick? Is that really like, maybe it's the wrong song. Maybe maybe they labeled it wrong. Okay, it, it is quick. Let me listen to it three more times. And I, I mean, I can't front. I didn't care for that song at all. But it didn't take away from his legacy because we know how Jay-Z is too. Uh, later on, I read that Quick gave him five different beats. But Jay-Z picked the beat that worked best for him versus the best beat. And that's what Jay-Z is known for doing. So, I mean, that's, that's what happened with that. But overall, I would say Quick is the type that um, he also worked on In the Club. In the Club was the biggest song to me of the whole 2000s, and Quick did the drums on that. He produced that Truth Hurts Addictive. That song was huge. A lot of folks think that Dre did it because, cause, I mean, Dre put her out. But And that song didn't have a typical Quick feel. That had a straight, you would think almost Timbaland or even um, Just Blaze. They, they all had that Indian yep. influence at that time. You had to react with uh, Eric Sermon. You had yep. the Indian Carpet Timberland type songs, but uh, the, the biggest song from that era that had that Indian style came from Quick, and that was nothing close to what he was doing for Sugar Free and for Snoop. So I would say he's definitely one who is very unsung, and he's still making music to this day. He's still working with a lot of the new artists, from Terrence Martin to even Kendrick. If you listen to King Kunta, that, that beat is basically Quick. That came from uh, Mossberg Get Naked. So even though Quick didn't directly produce it, that's directly from uh, what Quick made, I would say it's an interpolation of what Quick did for uh, Get Naked. So that's definitely my rewind for this week. Uh, like, So for you being from the South but living in New York, like, did you know about Quick growing up? Or what was the whole, you just knew him by name maybe? We knew who he was. It, it wasn't a thing where we was uh, like actively seeking out DJ Quick records. And also at the time, I think, I didn't realize you said something that that made me think about it. Um, you said that you know maybe he was a little overqualified to be producing, you know, hip hop. 
Yeah. And at the time, I didn't realize how talented he was. I didn't realize that um, he was an actual musician as opposed yeah. to, you know, just a superstar producer type, you know, just put his name on something. Like, <laughs> this man is really, like, he knows music. That's one of my favorite yeah. things about him. But we, we knew who he was, but we didn't, we didn't, like, we weren't listening to DJ Quick all of yeah. the time. I think it wasn't until uh, that Tony, 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 Let's Get Down dropped when I was like, okay, like, because it sounded like the West Coast to me. It sounded like yeah. something that I, I wasn't really used to. You know, South Carolina, we wasn't <laughs> listening to none of that. Yeah. So it sound, it had yeah. that, that West Coast feel, that West Coast sound. And I was like, all right, let's, let's pay attention to them. Um, I, when when the black album came out, I I was a little disappointed uh, with the song as well. Yeah. Um, but that's Jay Z. Like that's it's. I, I don't think it's on quick. <laughs> you know he he, yeah. gave, he he did give him he he gave him the beat. But if you know Jay Z's not gonna pick you know the hottest beat. He's not gonna pick anything yeah. you know that sounds amazing. He's gonna pick what he can work with and what he can rap over, and that's what he did. Yeah, exactly. And then looking back, looking back at it, it's like I halfway get because I can't picture him on a super, super West Coast beat either. Like we've heard him on Dre yeah. and the thing with Dre, Dre's sound at that time was more evolved to sound a little bit darker, a little bit more mm-hmm. East. So we heard him on like, if you remember the song Change the Game, Change the Game was produced by Rick Rock from the Bay. So that song always sounded West Coast, but it was a little bit more of a, a little bit darker edge to it. Remember Change the Game on these the one that um Oh yeah 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 he had okay. with um Benny Siegel in the house. That right, one. Right, so right, right. That song okay. did feel West Coast, but even that one was it just fit Jay Z more than like if you heard Sugar Free, uh Why You BSing, if you heard like mm-hmm. I'd rather give you my chick, if you heard like what he did, use a gangster on rhythmalism, like the songs on rhythmalism, that's his best produced album. And I can't really picture Jay Z on any of those. So it's like I get why he did pick a beat that didn't sound like right. him, but he went to him, so it's still kind of like, why go for right. if you didn't want his sound? If but... you didn't want his sound, I mean, yeah. and maybe maybe he had aspirations of actually, you know, doing something with that sound. But then yeah. when he got the beats, he realized this I can't it's do not this. working. Yeah. I'm not I'm not gonna say that he can't do it, but like you said, it's not working. Yeah, maybe yeah. he was like, this is not working. So let me let me go with something that's not as uh, West Coast right now. Yeah, I, for sure. that's not really my comfort zone because you know Jay Z is all about his comfort zone and he he works that mm-hmm. well. That's all it's about, yeah. So, so yeah. overall with that, yeah, definitely um, got a little too quick, and he's still out here doing his thing. So that's definitely my rewind pick for this week. And uh, the flip side of that, we always have what's called the, the Fast Forward. So with the Fast Forward segment, we like to highlight the artists who are out there making waves, who are on the way up. Uh, some of them have already uh, gotten, um, you know, received the claim, whether it's from Grammys or nominations, or just, you know, notoriety from whatever direction. And we have some artists that we mentioned who are completely unknown, but everything in between that. And for this this episode, EB, who would you like to highlight for your fast forward? I'm going to do a young lady out of central New Jersey. Her name is Fouché. Hmm. Uh, her name okay. is Brittany Fouché, but she goes by Fouché. Fouché, um, okay. We talk a lot about TikTok and <laughs> how uh, the influence of TikTok and how, you know, you can go viral in there one time and, you know, you, you got a hit or... You know, yeah. they can revive old songs to be hits because of TikTok challenges. It happens. Well, it happens. Yeah, yeah. Like it, in the story, in Fouché's story, um, there was a rapper, uh, Sleepy Hollow, who did a freestyle over her deep end that ended up going viral. And the problem is it was only credited to Sleepy Hollow. It was not credited mm. to Fouché. 
until after it went viral and then people started hitting her up like yo is this you is this your voice but what he did was basically sample her and um hmm. she's been blowing up ever since like she's been doing her thing she's uh like i said out of central new jersey her mother was actually in a, a band an all-girl band before fouché was born and before they moved to america but oh, wow. um she grew up listening to a lot of Bob Marley at, when she was younger because, you know, a lot of reggae in her household. And then as she got older, she discovered the Brandies and the Solanges. And Tony Braxton, Celine Dion are the people that she says are huge inspirations to her. But hmm. as an adult, which is that cross-generational thing, she discovered the legend that is Shaka Khan. Okay. And she okay. says yeah. once she discovered Shaka Khan, it kind of opened her eyes to... Uh, the different genres and different possibilities of music. Like she started experimenting with jazz because of Shaka Khan. Um, mm. I, they call her alt soul and I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what alternative soul is exactly, but that's, that's the title mm. that they've given her music. Uh, and they put her in the same lane as people like Alex Isley, uh, Victoria Monet, or even Van Jess that we've discussed on here before. Yeah. Uh, or Ari Lennox. So she has this eclectic style um, I personally think they call it alt soul because they need to label it some way to market. It has to be so a label it's somehow. Just, yeah, yeah, it's just like let's throw everybody who <laughs> is not doing the standard, you know, radio song. Let's just throw them into the label of alt soul. Um, but yeah, no. Okay, so okay. Fouché out of New Jersey, she uh is one of one of those those rising singers who has like a very new, unique voice. Her voice is very airy. Um, but it's, it has power behind it. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's, it's airy yeah. with power. Um, okay. and you can tell that she actually studies, uh, the music that she sings just by, um, the arrangements that she plays with or placements. She does not have an album out just yet, but there are plenty of singles out. She's always dropping songs. She's always doing live performances and her live performances are where I fell in love with her because like mm -hmm. I said, even though her voice is airy, it's heavy. But when you, yeah. when you hear her live, it almost like a spiritual experience, depending on what she's singing. Um, her Instagram is nothing but clips of her singing live. Her YouTube mm -hmm. is nothing but like wow. just dope stuff. Um, she's one of those people. I think that, you know, if given the proper amount of exposure and if given the right amount of time that, you know, that she'll be a name that's around for a while. Um, she deserves to be. Uh, she's been putting in like work and this is all basically like TikTok. You know, you go, you went viral <laughs> without even realizing it just because yeah. someone sampled yeah. something that you did. You, something you've been working at and now you know your streams are like in the millions up there so wow, wow. She, she is she is my fast forward because i think that um that tiktok exposure really helped and not only helped um but also exposed her to a lot of like the active music buying audience like the gen z people so i can mm. see her being around for a while for that reason makes sense how how is her name spelled uh f o u S H E E. Okay, okay. I know. I know our listeners are probably wondering how to type her name in because yes. at first I was thinking, was it F O U C H E? I couldn't really tell. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. no, yeah. F O U S H double -E, -E, uh Fouché. Fouché. Okay, I gotta check her out. And where is she from? I know you said she moved to the states with her family. So where is she from um, originally? They were from Jamaica. Oh, from so Jamaica. Okay, so you Jamaican. said that. 
The yeah. reggae influence and all that. The reggae so. influence was like all she listened to growing up. And then yeah. when she got here to America, you know, that's when you discover Celine Dion and Tony Braxton. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. All right, let's see what they could do. All right. Yeah, exactly. And Shaka Khan, you mentioned that. That's crazy because I think Shaka Khan is the type that I feel like any any singer who uses her as an influence or says that she's an influence, I already think that they, like, I already respect them and I already expect them to be a dope singer. I've never heard somebody say, I love Shaka Khan, and then they end up singing, you know, <laughs> with, with no power, no strength, no type of, like, It's impossible. Feeling. It's impossible. Because yeah. Shaka is such a, like, student of music herself. So yeah. to study and listen to her music and the way she uses her voice is like an instrument. Like, it's like it a is. horn. So it is, literally. To, to, yeah. to, literally a horn. So <laughs> to listen to that every day and then try to sing and say that's an influence you have no choice but to sound good like i yeah i'm like you said i don't know anybody who said shaka khan and they come out sounding like trash i've never yeah. heard it seriously same same way for me so salute to, to fouché so with that uh my my pick for this episode is gonna be griselda griselda is basically that's what we call them as a collective that's the uh that's the uh, label Griselda Records, but it's three rappers who make up Griselda. That's Conway the Machine, Benny the Butcher, and that's also uh, West Side Gun. And with Griselda, so how do I even like hop in and explain it? So I didn't hear about them until maybe three or four years ago, so I was a little bit late. And even when I first heard about them, I didn't really know what to expect, but everybody told me it's kind of a new age, whether it's a Wu-Tang type collective or whatever it is. They, they told me it was that underground-ish, but just super, super true like New York, New York type rap. So I started uh, tuning into them. They're from Buffalo, so they're not from New York City, but they they have a straight up authentic New York City uh, sound to me. And with them, it's three of them, and they have they have perfect chemistry, but they all have their own style to me. I would say West Side Gun is probably the one who has the most distinct style. He's kind of the one, you know, every collective has the one rapper that, is like clearly not as talented as far as lyrically or whatever, but they have the most personality. They have the most distinct voice and sound. So to me, that's what I would mm-hmm. say West Side Gun is. He has the high-pitched voice. He has these crazy, hilarious ad-libs. As soon as you hear him come in with the with the gunshot ad-libs, I can't even imitate on my own. It's like, all right, you already know what to expect. And he just has that, that flow that's like slightly, slightly offbeat, but it's all the way in pocket. So he's mm-hmm. known for that. I would say with Benny and Conway... They're the ones who are the two more lyrical. Uh, Benny is the one who's known for having the features. He can hop on different tracks. He's slowly starting to branch out and do some of the commercial tracks. You hear him on a, a twerking type track, but he's the one who, he fits on the track, but he's still saying some some actual lyrics where you're like, you twerking, but you're like, that's that's a bar right there. Like, I'm, I'm twerking, getting some bars, but that's still not really his his lane. It's just that he knows how to do those types of, types of songs. But to me, he has the best project out of the three so far. I would say that, his uh, burden of proof project last year is probably my favorite of all all the uh, all the projects that they have. Um, and I would say Conway. It's arguable to say who's better. I would personally say Benny is better, but I think you know that Conway has a lot of fans who do rock with him as well. They both have those mm-hmm. lyrical styles. They're types that you love. So just watch those ten minute freestyles. They just give you bars the whole time, and it's a case of me wondering if their fan base is actually our generation or the younger or both or what it is because. Everybody who I know, of course, is more 30 plus and they love them. But it's they like, I wonder if they, if the trap fans love them the same way, but they are getting features with those types of artists. And they, mm-hmm. they are one of those groups that I think their appeal is because they remind us of what we grew up on when it came to those just straight lyricals, just spitters. But 
the songs a lot of times don't even have structure. It's just they just rapping like it's just thirty two bars from one. One might hop on forty eight bars, and you don't know when it's starting and ending, but it's mm-hmm. it's going. And they actually have on the new DMX album, they have a song that Swiss uh, produced, and Swiss he, he used that production style that they that they're known for being on top of. He did it perfectly. Like he used a, a cold sample, one of those crazy this ambient type of beats and mm-hmm. they all sound perfect on it and then DMX hops on the end of it and then I heard a song that Diddy played it's not released yet but Conway is on the Can't You See the uh, Biggie and just the way he got off on there I'm like oh this is gonna be a hit um, I couldn't tell who's singing on the hook it sounded like Jeremiah but it's not Jeremiah I don't think it's Jeremiah mm-hmm. at least but it's one of those types of songs you know how how we love those R&B songs that have the hip hop verse and it's straight Diddy hip hop soul um, era yep. type type music so I think this year they're going to finally break out to that level where they're going to be like commercial household names. Like they're everybody who loves hip hop, hip hop's favorite artists. But I think that they're, I hope that they can kind of bring that New York style back. It's where New York right now, they do have their own sound, which is a derivative of, at this point, the UK. That Mm -hmm. UK, which I don't call drill. Everybody wants to call it drill. It's not drill to me. Drill is Chicago. That's different to me. That's more so that UK grime that I guess the content they call drill, but to me that production style that New York uses on the song like Weddy and the Big Drip um, and the all the all the Pop Smoke records and the right. and the uh, what's what's the song um, what's the other one that's that's big out there right now? They all have that similar style and and with Griselda their their style is so much different. It just sounds like that early two thousands type style that we, that we all grew up on. So I do think that they're gonna break out soon. I think. Um... Part of the reason a lot of the 30-plus uh, crowd really messes with them like that is because yeah. they are bringing back uh, the art of rapping. Like, rap, rap. Of, yeah. of, of truly, like, of being lyricist. And I love that everyone has a distinct style and yeah. no one is... Um, no one is being carried by like the other members. Like everybody has yeah. something that makes them stand out. I think that will benefit them. Um but like you said, I'm, I am curious about their fan base. I want to know if um, the under 30s, you know, I want to know yeah. if they are appreciative of it or if they think that it's uh, too much. Old. And when I say too much, it's like, yeah, that's yeah. it's dated. It's old. Like, you're not, you know, I think a lot of times our ears have become so used to like in hip hop, like songs having specific structures. Yeah. Whereas in the beginning, like hip hop didn't always have a structure. Like it not was, all, it was the art of the freestyle. It was the art of the rap, just flowing. Um, and I think a lot of fans may get uh, lost, um, or maybe it'll be an opportunity for education, and they can yeah. also go back and be like, okay, well, this is what you know. It's something different. It's not necessarily structured in the same way, but it's just as good, if not better, than a lot of what our ears are now trained to know is like, oh yeah, I like this. this is a hit. This, you know, this is hip hop. That's the way I see it. Because like, like I was saying about Conway on the, uh, can't you see, I think those songs will definitely like bring in the listeners because it's where they, they can rap on, on the, on the structure song. I've heard them do those mm-hmm. structure 16s, but once you get to the album, the album's going to be a little bit different, but I do. Mm-hmm. I also do wonder like, so, so it could be even regional with that. I wonder if the New York young heads, they probably rock with it. If they grew up, Listening to yeah. the hip hop with their parents yeah. and older cousins, but I, in the I south, I'm not sure. Like for LA, I feel like 
it's probably they have a couple fans, but is it not as big with the young folks? Like I haven't heard mm-hmm. anybody young really blasting it that way, but I'm sure that, that they do have fans in that generation. But yeah, I, I mean, especially yeah. like you said in New York, I'm yeah sure because I mean, I guess that's where they come from. That's their influence. So yeah, it, it can't be just those three who appreciate you know that style of rap. It it can't yeah. be like especially here in New York. So I'm sure exactly. that they will have fans here. But like you said, go down south. It may be a different story. Yeah. It might be a little bit different. And the song I was thinking about was called Whoopty. Whoopty was one of those songs with that new style okay. of New York rap. So yeah, mm-hmm. so I do wonder because um even when it comes to the HBCU like tour circuit this this fall, like I wonder if they're gonna be be on any of those tours or if they're gonna be focused on more of the different types of festivals. I've seen them on some of these big festivals too. So they they are getting shine with that. Yeah, I feel like um, the festivals are probably going to be where they really pick up uh, a lot of a lot of uh, momentum and grow their fan base. Um, yeah, they'll do it on the HBCU tours, and especially like this fall. Like I'm sure they're going to get you know get it in there. But um, these festivals, I think, is where people will really uh, pick up on them, and they'll like be appreciated more. Yeah, for sure. That's the way I see it. So, salute to to Fouché once again, along with Griselda. So, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. When we get back from break, we're going to talk about artists and uh, if their catalogs, you know, if their albums determine their legacy. And we're going to have a couple examples that we do always discuss and debate. And me and, e, me and EB, we might not have the solution. We might not have the rankings for y'all. We might not have a, a Mount Rushmore or anything for y'all. But we will just discuss, you know, how we feel catalog size can impact an artist's legacy and we also have a beat match coming up we're gonna make it fun for y'all this time too so we might have y'all dancing in your seats just using your imagination for it so uh, we'll be right back but also remember that we have the playlist for you we have our official behind the wheels spotify playlist for you it's in the, the liner notes of the episode so we'll be back in a minute While we're taking a quick break, please head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review the show. This helps other people find the podcast. All right, we are back once again. This is Behind the Wheel, special collaboration episode with the Weeksville Heritage Center. I am DJ Artistic, and I have my host right here named EB. So, EB, um, one thing that we've been talking about that we've been seeing discussed for a long time is about how much does a, an artist's catalog size um, impact their legacy when it comes to, you know, we love doing those rankings. We love saying who's the best hip-hop you know, artist alive or from a certain decade, a certain generation, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I know it's one example that you mentioned. You mentioned an example about Lauryn Hill versus uh, Biggie. And what was that? And what's your take on it? Um, you know, like everybody considers Big to be one of the greatest. Like he he is, um, I guess, before he passed, people are like, that's the king of New York. He is, you know, running everything. But when it comes to Lauryn Hill, it's like people will acknowledge that, yeah, she's good, but it's rare that you're like, oh, yeah, no, Lauren Hill, she is, like, one of the greatest ever, when their catalogs are basically the same size. Um, 
I mean, I mean, and Lauren's actually is larger because she was with Fuji's before going solo. And even then, it's hard to uh, put them in the same um, category because even though Lauren is billed as uh, a rapper or a hip hop artist, like, you know, Miseducation was, I mean, it was hip hop on there, but I wouldn't call it a hip hop album. Um, another example would be, you know, when we make our uh, list of the greatest MCs um, or people who are slept on, Andre 3000 gets mentioned a lot. But technically, he only has one solo album, a lot of features, and of course, his work with Outkast. But um, I'm just trying to figure out what determines um, legendary status. And is it the quality or is it the quantity of the catalog? It's, it's a very complicated argument. And I guess you can somewhat compare it to the whole rings argument when, when it comes to the NBA uh, even NFL, but NBA, people always talk about, you know, LeBron versus MJ versus Kobe. And then they'll mention the Barkley or they'll mention how Dame Lillard is a current player who might not ever get a ring, but he's better than most players in the league. So it's similar. And on, on if you know basketball like that, vice versa, the Robert Ory, who has seven rings, but he was never, ever the star. So it it kind of works in a similar way when it comes to rap, because I guess the Robert Ory type would be, say, if it is a prize type who we know is not the best rapper in the group but if he has a classic album because he's on the group does it count for his legacy type deal so that can kind of be that argument but overall it gets complicated because one thing that i used to always discuss was about how um you know we talk about biggie being the best and of course it, it was always a debate about biggie or tupac especially early mid 2000s and with that tupac died in 96 biggie died in 97 and they died at what was seen as the height of their careers but they could have uh, gotten even bigger because their careers were ascending and they were at a current peak, but they had been ascending for years before that. So I think a lot of times with those artists, you do kind of give them like the, even if you don't say it verbally, it's like you kind of saying because they got killed so early, you expect them to have keep on going and to keep making more, more music and better music. And with Biggie, he only had those two albums, but he had a lot of features. He had a lot of remixes he had from like the Can't You See. He had like the uh, Flavor in Your Ear. He had the Dolly My Baby. He had the the Mirror Love with Mary. He had to work with Junior Mafia. He had to work with Diddy. He had the 112 Only You remix. So when it comes to Biggie, I get why, even though he only had two albums, he had so many features. And with Tupac, he had more albums. I would say Biggie's two albums that he had before he, well, he, he died before the second one technically, but those two albums that he finished before he died, I would say they were better than essentially everything Pac had except for All Eyes on Me as far as clearly better. And arguably, most people will say that those two, two were better than All Eyes on Me. But I would say, depending on who you ask, they'll put that album on par, on par with those. But either way, Pac did have five albums and he had a, lot, a whole lot of singles. So Pac, his argument, I think, comes because he had so many different singles. He had and major hit singles at that. He just didn't have songs that happened to get radio play. Like he had songs that we still hear today from the Dear Mama to the So Many Tears to the I Get Around. He had like California Love. You still hear that before every ESPN Clippers and Lakers and Dodgers game. So he had that many major hits. So that's the argument with them. I feel like with, so when it comes to the recent artists, it, it gets complicated because that's when it's a question of, for one, are 90s fans ever going to, uh, get over their whole 90s is the best of everything type of 
mindset. So when we start discussing these new artists, it's like I remember five years ago uh, after Kendrick dropped um, To Pimp a Butterfly, it was questions like, okay, so he he's dropped three, four albums. Is he at the level of Pac and Biggie? And people were saying he doesn't have enough work yet. But as we said, Biggie had two albums. Pac had, I think, Tupacalypse Now, Strictly. Um, he had uh, Me Against the World. He had four, four albums, basically. Then he had Don Colomanati. So he had five, technically. But it's like by 2016, and then by 2017 with them, um, Kendrick had just as much work as Pac. But it's where people, some people will still say, all right, he's not at Pac's level. And then it's like, I can see both sides. I feel like with Kendrick, he doesn't have the single output. So when we compare him to Biggie and Pac, he doesn't have those singles that are that that huge. He has All Right. He has a couple other songs that we do know, but his singles aren't hitting the same way. But at the same time, I would say his albums are better than Tupac's albums for sure. I would say comparing him to Biggie, uh, it's I would say it's neck and neck. If you take um, Kendrick's best, best two albums against Life After Death and against Ready Ready to Die, they're at least neck and neck, I would say. So it's tricky with that. So then we talk about artists like LL Cool J. When we look at LL Cool J, nobody really puts him at the very top. But it's funny because the first time I heard the word GOAT, meaning greatest of all time, was because of LL Cool J's album. And I remember when he, when he dropped that, I was, I, I remember my boy from school who just moved from Boston, he was like, do you think LL is the greatest rapper of all time? And I remember answering, answering saying, I never thought about it, but if somebody said he was, at the time in 99, I wouldn't have been mad because he had a full decade. Not that many rappers had a hit in the late 80s, 86 really, 86 and 99. And then if you extend that to 04, it's like barely anybody had hits for an 18-year period. We look at Jay-Z now. Jay-Z has done it, but Alel, his argument, he had major hit singles all throughout that era. And of course, his albums aren't seen at the same level as the Biggie's and Jay-Z's and he doesn't really have a Illmatic or Doggy Style or a Good Kid, Mad City or any of those, but he has so many strong singles. So it's like, it's where, how do you compare him? And then Busta Rhymes is similar to me. Busta Rhymes has it where he's the only artist that you could say had the verse of the year, 20 years apart. In 91, he had Scenario remix with Tribe. And as I combine, you know, I bring it back, come, come rewind. Then in 2001, he had that crazy verse on Look At Me Now with Chris Brown. So it's like, when you look at Buster's career, he has all these hit singles, but it's where nobody really looks at his albums at that level. To me, he had, you know, um, ELE was great. I feel like when Disaster, Disaster Strikes was a banger, but I'm not sure I would put those right next to the Blueprints and the Reasonable Doubts and the, and those high-level types of albums. So that's the argument with him. And then uh, before I pass back to you, with Andre, Andre has a complicated one too because... As you said, he only has one solo album, but that solo album doesn't even have but one song. He's really rapping, rapping. That's the last song on there. And then, but then you you say he does have these Outcast albums where it's like I didn't really think about it as a kid. I knew that they were different rappers, but I didn't really think and like really isolate them until I was probably you know a teen, late teen. And when I look back, I love Big Boy, but ninety percent of the standout verses came from Andre. I feel like Big Boy was probably the reason that they had the sound the way it sounded. I feel like. Big Boy deserves credit. I hate the fact that Big Boy doesn't get the same credit and people just kind of sleep on him. But at the same time, you think about songs like Equimini. You think about songs like, I mean, he invented um, Sasha Thumper. I mean, you think about these songs that Andre, you think about Rosa Parks. You think about 
AT, uh, AT Aliens on um, Elevators. That verse, you know, um, true, I got more fans than the average man, but not enough loot to ask me. Like, he had the standout bar, so even though those weren't his solo projects, he had that much input from 94 up to their album in 03. Idlewild had a couple okay songs, but then he had that singles or that that uh, features run when he's on everything from Walk It Out to to the uh, to Green Light to I Can't Wait to International Players, Players Anthem. Anthem yeah. And he has these crazy verses, so it's like because he doesn't have a solo album that's at the level of of these Illmatics, does that do we hold that against him? And it's that's when it gets complicated. So I mean, yeah. How do how do you yeah? Because my because then my question is. When, when you're talking about an artist, uh, the body of their work, and you're saying whether or not you consider them to be legendary or not, or do you include their features in that? Because, you know, there yeah. was a period when Nicki Minaj was on everything. Oh, Nicki. And <laughs> yeah. uh, when, I, when I say she was on everything, like, she, her features, they didn't miss. Like, she, sure. she was the best part of so many people's songs. <laughs> and then... <laughs> and So many. But would you be like, well, yeah, nah, like, you know, she... She's one of the goats at this point because of her features alone. Or are you looking at her albums too and like, well, you know, the albums were not as strong or do you look at, Mm. you know, do you combine the two? Do you look at just the albums or do you look at the singles? And then that's like even going back, you can be like, nobody talks about Left Eye as a rapper, but it's like, do you include the TLC albums when she had like a verse here and there? Or Hmm. are you like, well, you know, you know, she had a couple different features. They weren't like a lot, but I wouldn't put her on the level of like a Kim or a Foxy or anything. Yeah, Queen. I mean, yeah, uh, MC yeah, Light, MC Light, MC Light, or even like Latifah. Yeah, like yeah. I wouldn't put I wouldn't put her on that level. Or are you like, well, we can take you know her work with TLC and then maybe some mixtape stuff. I think there was like a mixtape released. Um, Maybe so. Before or after, she, I think it might have been like right after she died. I can't exactly remember, but like, do you include that? And are you like, well, you know, she was nice. Like, she was a nice rapper. Or are you like, ah, oh, she was just, you know, she was in TLC. Like, you, you can't look yeah. at her group work because if you do that, then you have to be like, well, with Andre, you can't look at Outkast work. You know, you you can't yeah. look at things like that. So it's, it's it, I think it gets it's a contradiction because, sometimes. Yeah, yeah because you're kind of uh, picking and choosing. Um, when certain rules apply and when they don't. It happens a lot. And, and it's um, like, so when you say uh, with, with Nicki Minaj, one thing about Nicki is that, so even even with Nicki, I feel that when it comes to like, people have been talking about this whole Rush, uh, Mount, Mount Rushmore thing the last few weeks, like the top four for this generation and that. And I would say a lot of, with, with Nicki, I feel a lot of her hate is straight misogyny because a lot of men just don't want to put a woman at that level. It's like they'll say she's dope or she's the best woman female rapper. But so so with the Mount Rushmore, everybody was saying, okay, the obvious is Drake, Cole, Kendrick, who was the fourth spot. A lot of folks were saying, all right, it could be Future, it could be Big Sean, it could be whoever else. And I'm like, it's easily Nikki. Nikki, Nikki is, I'm not going to say above Cole, but I mean, as you said, it's like, I'll say Cole had better albums, but when it came to. If you give me 10 verses from the entire decade, I'm probably picking the 10 Nikki over J. Cole's, honestly. And Cole has some verses. Cole has verses and bars, for sure. For sure. But it's like, yeah, so it's like, I think, as you said, to me, it's kind of a combination. And comparing it to sports again, I feel like it is a combination where it's like, yeah, you have rings, but you have you have the all-NBA. Then you have all-defense. Then you have uh, 
uh, league leader in points. You might count a dunk contest. A dunk contest is kind of a freestyle. To me, I, I kind of freestyle as a dunk contest. So if you watch a, a old Jay-Z DMX freestyle, it's fun to watch. But you're not really counting it in the legacy for real, but it's just an added bonus. So that's how I count that. So it's like when I compare the legacy to a lot of times, like overall, like I feel there's no way to ever – for anybody to ever agree on who the best rapper is ever, but the greatest when it comes to just a collection of everything combined has to be Jay-Z to me because of everything he has from albums to singles, two features to the duration of time, going from a strong 96 up to even today still doing stuff every couple months. So that's that's how I see it. After Jay-Z, it really gets fuzzy, and it's like it's hard to say because there's some artists who, like Kendrick to me is probably after Jay-Z, He's probably top three, top four when it comes to just making great albums. And then comparing him to Drake, Drake is the best singles maker in the last, maybe ever, maybe ever, ever when it comes. Yeah. But at the same time, how do we count Drake when it comes to rap? Because a lot of Drake singles are not him rapping. Like mm. he's sing, he's melodically rapping and he's, he's yeah, singing he's on some. The, yeah. So it's hard to count Drake when you talk about rappers only. It's like, I love him on on the energy and zero to hundred, but then do we count controller and one dance and even hotline bling is kind of in between. He sings songing with the rap cadence. It's I mean, like, if it's if tricky, we, if we're saying that we can count the miseducation as part of Lawrence catalog, yeah. then we can count, um, the love below as part of Andre's, then it's like, well, they was on there singing too. So yeah, like, do we include that or do we like, Take is that away. Like it's, disqualified. Like, does that disqualify everything? It's like, oh no, they were singing on air, so we can't, we can't really take that because see, then you got to get rid of a lot because that's the it, style now. <laughs> that's that. That's what people are doing. Like that is, yeah. that is a uh, a lot of the rappers are out here with the melodic um, flows um, yeah. where they're not really singing, but they're singing. So does that still count towards um, the quality of their hip hop catalog? Or do we like are those songs that we just can't look at? So it's like, no, nah, they don't count. They're singing. It's it gets complicated at that part because then it's like the way I see it too. And I've even had kind of like joke joke debates about like if there is a spectrum from like zero to a hundred or from whatever you want to say, and zero is rap, meaning zero is I'm gonna say Raekwon, Ghostface, who don't even they don't even sing as much as Grand Pooba. Grand Poopa is probably a 10 on this spectrum because he would sing for a bar or two. And then, like, Snoop is a 10 to 20, 20, because he has songs where he's singing, but it's still, you know, versus on the, the 100, that's just Avant Maxwell, who they just are singing, singing, singing. You get to an 80, 70, it's like Nate Dogg, Jeremiah, where they, they kind of have a rap cadence, but it's like they it's still singing versus the 50 right in the middle to me is the Drake. It is the Lauren Hill. It is Lil Baby is on a 40. It's like he's still, he's not ever going to be a singer, but everything he does has melody to it. So all that to say, it gets complicated when you count that in their legacy because like Drake has songs where he does everything from the zero to 100, just like his song says, whereas he has the songs where he's, I know what to do with it. Like those songs, he's all the way singing and he's trying to be a crooner almost. But then he has the songs where he's all the way rapping. He has the songs where he's like, like, what do you call God's plan? What do you call fake love? Because it's like he's singing the hook and he's holding those words out during the hook, but the verse he's rapping, but with the melody. So overall, I just say it counts as hip hop at this part, hip hop, uh, at this point, hip hop has evolved to where it does include melody, but 
Overall, we can tell what is rap and what's not. Like, I'm not really going to count a Ty Dolla Sign album as a rap album. Like, a Nate Dogg album, I wouldn't call it a rap album, but it's it's hard. I don't call it r and It's more hip-hop it's, than... It's Nate Dogg. Yeah, yeah, it's Nate yeah. Dogg. So it's like, yeah. how do we count that? So all that to say, when it comes to miseducation, I've been seeing debates of, like, what, what's the best hip-hop album of the 90s? What's the best R&B album? And it's where some folks include her at the top of both aren't. Don't include her on either. They'll say she's rapping too much, or, or she's a rapper. Mm-hmm. She's a rapper, so do we call it a pure R and B album? Because Maxwell with a pure R and B album. So how do we compare that to an album that has that thing doo-wop on it? But on the flip side, it's like it's way more singing than rap. So do more... we call it a great? But, but rap? then yeah. <laughs> the songs where she where where she is rapping. Yeah, she's rapping, rapping, and she's spitting. Lost ones, she's spitting. And then when she's singing, she's really singing. She's not just being melodic with the rap. Like right. X Factor is singing, so it's right. So it's it, it gets, it, which yeah. is different than um, a rapper who is still rapping or who doesn't have the singing ability. I'll say, um, yeah. so they kind of play around with it. Hers is more like I can rap, but yeah. I, I'm gonna switch it up, and I can also like really sing. Even though I got yeah. booed at the Apollo, I can <laughs> yeah. really, 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 really sing. So. Yeah. Um, she, but she's always at the top of my mind when I think about um, when people are like, oh, no, the best hip hop albums of all time. And every time I see them put Miss Education in that slot, I'm always like, yeah. I don't really count that as a hip hop album. I but don't. because most of it is singing. I mean, yeah. it's singing and skits with kids. Like, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not it's yeah. not like it's not like a 50 50 thing where on one side on side A, she's rapping and then side b she's singing no it's kind of just like what she is and then by the time we got the second album which technically it's a live unplugged album unplugged so like do you count that as part of her that's a question too does that count to her catalog right does it it? yeah i mean people count like mariah's live unplugged as part of hers did she have original music on hers, or did she have? She was singing the song she already had. She was had, singing though, right? the song she already had. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Lauren had more original. When you have original music versus, yeah. Mm, okay. It makes a difference. I would say it makes a difference because it, it was actually original music, but it's 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 kind of hard to consume like that much new music as a live album too. It, right. It's kind of complicated because like, of course, we had Erica Badu who did Tyrone. That was live, but it still was mixed so good it that was, yeah, it felt like it was. You know, it was it was the best to me right. live. And it was it was, it was one song versus doing a whole album live whole of album. stuff that people have never heard and expecting yeah. them to love it. Um, and some people did love it. I wasn't one of those people, yeah. but some people loved it. It's true. It's true. Yeah, and she's yeah. So I, uh, it's 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 tough. So I think that overall, when it comes to judging artists by the catalog, I would say it's just a combination of all those things. I wouldn't say it's just solely about albums. That's my whole thing. Is that it's not. Just about albums, because then you have mixtapes too, and like with yeah. mixtapes, how do we count that? Because even with Drake, personally, my favorite project from him by far is still "So Far Gone," and a lot of folks don't count that when they say what's the best album of the two thousand nines. And Lil yeah. Wayne, we didn't talk about Lil Wayne, but Lil Wayne, I feel like he's the type who has a lot of bases covered too. He has a lot of he features, has albums, features, great albums. Yeah. Then he had group work. Yeah. He had the group work, and the thing is, he wasn't really as good when he was hot, a hot boy. He was a kid, of course, he right. wasn't. He wasn't no ceilings, Wayne, but he had the group work with them. He had the features with Juvenile. Mm-hmm. Then he had the no ceilings mixtapes. He had the, the drought. He had the squad. So to me, when it comes to overall body of work, like 
I would say after Jay, Wayne is right there in that top He's five, too. Definitely right there. Yeah, so yeah. it's where, at the same time, a lot of folks, Wayne is controversial, especially being from the South, but having an even more, I'm not going to say he has a more Southern style than Andre. I'm not going to say that, but it's, it's where. styles of the South. Like, yeah, it's way Atlanta different styles. Yeah. New Orleans. New Orleans. Which, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's still all the South, but that's like, yeah. uh, I'm going to put it in terms of where I'm at. Like, that's like Brooklyn and the Bronx. Like, you know, yeah, it's, it's all true. New York, but they're very different styles. It's like going to Harlem for brunch and then going to Queens. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it, yeah. you know, it's a little different, but it is. Um, it's all still the South. You know, Wayne is just as Southern as Andre. Andre is just as Southern as Wayne. It's just yeah. different styles. Totally different styles. Yeah. And with that, I think overall, I would say Andre gets more respect by most hip hop heads because, I mean, the thing with Wayne is that he's somewhat polarizing because he had a lot of comical and even like um, rare like Mr. Clean with hair. And he had the the way he rapped on that um They Know remix with Shorty Loda. I mean, he, he I'm not going to say he obviously didn't bring auto-tune in. We give T-Pain the credit for that. But right. the, to me, the reason that all the rappers are using auto-tune the last decade is more so because of Wayne and T-Pain. They use it more like Wayne did on that one verse where yeah. even the How to Love type songs, like more mm-hmm. rappers came from that Lil Wayne tree than anybody else. So it's like, it's where he's polarizing. And some, Wayne is the type that like, with Jay-Z, you're not going to see too many people who have a top 10 without Jay-Z. With Wayne, you're going to hear people or see people who have him at number one, two, three. And you're going to see folks who don't have him in the top 100. At so all, yeah. it's yeah. very polarizing with Wayne. But overall, if, you, if you're judging him by his catalog and everything else that I count, those mixtapes, the freestyles, the off-the-dome freestyles, the Rap City, whatever it is, Tim Westwood, whatever he's done, it's like he's I say Wayne there. is up there. Yeah, so yeah, overall, that's the way I see it. I think it's, it's a, a complicated argument that we're always going to have when it comes to discussing rap. Um, R&B is a whole different thing because then we have groups and artists with that. We can discuss yeah. that a different day. That's right. a... That's a whole different That's level. That's a whole different yeah. discussion right there. Yeah, yeah musicians versus producers. Yeah, that yeah, goes somewhere else. But yeah, so overall, I would say you just have to take into account every everything that an artist has done because they've they've done more than just make those albums. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely on team quality. Um, yeah, versus quantity, but you still have to count. You know, their complete body of work, not just what you see as fit for. Like, oh, yeah, we can count this as a, as one of the hip-hop. No, it's like you got to count it all. You have to. Yeah, you have to. It's all about that quality uh, for sure, too. So that's the way I see it. Um, so moving on to our our um, finale, uh, our finale um, segment of the show, which is one of our favorites. It's called the Beat Match. In, the, in our Beat Match segment, we basically take two. It could be artists. It could be albums. It could be eras, anything like that. And we compare the two of those and we're gonna do something different this time we have you know this is a a special episode it's about to be summertime it's about it's about to be you know parties and it's black music month so we're gonna do something we haven't done before we're gonna have a song versus song battle just two songs we're gonna compare and we're gonna let our producers melissa and the lady judge and say which one they feel is the greater song based on the criteria that we're gonna provide so with that each of us have three minutes to, to discuss our case on each of these songs, and then we have two rebuttals, and then we give it to our producer. So, EB, I'm going to ask you, um, in the last, I will say, I will say since 1990, since 1990, what would you say is the greatest hip-hop and or R&B, just black music party song of the last, that would be 31 years at this point? Um, 
for me, I guess it, it's definitely uh, Bel Biv DeVoe's Poison. That is, that is the mm-hmm. ultimate uh, party song, house party song, club song, whatever. You know, you hear that and you get up. Yeah, easy. I mean, as a DJ, I'm like, that's one of the ones that we could play anywhere. I would say that's probably number two or three to me. Mm. Number one for me, I gotta take it back to the '99 and the 2000. I gotta say, go. I gotta say it's that juvenile. <laughs> so uh, it's 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 one of those. They're totally different songs. The, the funny part is that they represent polar opposite ends of the '90s. It's 1990 versus '98, '99. But yeah. but with that, I'll, I'll let you start off and give you a debate on why you think that's just the ultimate party song of the '90s and up. I mean, we've talked on here before how about how um, we view music through the lens of nostalgia and our connection to it is based on experiences that we've had. Um, Bell Bib DeVoe's Poison is one of the greatest, if not the absolute greatest party song. And um, I mean, no matter where you are, when the song plays, um, you, 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 you might do a little two-step, if you in public and you're not really at a party, if you at a party though, you're going to get down. And I think one of the most beautiful things about the song is um, the lyrics are absolutely like, <laughs> you know, it, it's not about uh, um, uh, a poison apple at any, by any means. It's, it's about a, a young woman who is passing around STDs. So ooh wee, ooh wee. they were able to push it off as this is educational this is helping the community, especially during a time when, you know, HIV is rising in the community and, you know, we want our young people to be safe. But it's that you never trust a big button to smile that everybody loves. Like if you've ever been at a party and that part comes on and you see the girls, they, they will look back at it and smile and then wink. And that's how you're like, okay, you know, they feeling right. themselves now. They really feeling themselves. Right. I think that um, coming from a huge group like New Edition where, you know, we were used to uh, Candy Girl and um, Mr. Telephone Man and then Can You Stay in the Rain, I think it gave us a completely different um, view of uh, at least those three members. Like, we weren't looking for yeah. – nobody was going to a party like, you know – Put that new edition on. Like, that wasn't what it was. But yeah. Bell Bib DeVoe was able to break out from this huge group that was known really for teenage um, teeny bopper music or slow jams. And they were able to give us this huge, huge party hit. It, it was one of those songs where um, even now when it comes on, you could be 30 or you could be 40. You could be 50. <laughs> You're going to dance you're going to um if you're one of the older people you're definitely going to remember where you were when the song came out especially if you were in like high school college around that time then you're like okay i was i was riding in my 1992 accord and i remember you know it was like one of it's one of those songs that takes you back to the moment when you first heard it um how you felt then even though you didn't realize what it was about, you might not have known that the lyrics were um, less than perfect. But you remember partying to it. You remember the jam. You remember that coming on and then like Chub Rock's Treat You Right come on. And then maybe like Rob Bass, um, it, takes it Takes Two. <laughs> it's like, you know, these are the party songs that you remember. Yeah. So that's why it's my number yeah. one from 1990. I get it. I get it. I mean, talking to my older cousins, they told me that 
girls really had poison shirts. They would have short shirts, shorts with uh, poison on the back of them. So it was, it was a, a huge movement. So that's why I say it's definitely two or three. So I mean, it's a bit generational, of course. I mean, it is generational, but I, I'm going with Juvenile for a couple reasons. So the thing about Juvenile is that I feel like that song was transformational. That song, like with Poison, it was the peak of New Jack Swing. It was like it came, it, it made that impact. That's what it was. Uh, Juvenile, when they drive back that ass up, it, it it caused a whole shift in what booty shaking music was. So if you think about 90s, booty shake was all bass music. That was Atlanta bass. That was really Miami bass. Miami bass that Atlanta was influenced by. And it was where everything that was known nationally was, you know, all those, the Hoochie Mama, the Luke, the, um, the Doodoo Browns, I Want to Rock type songs. New Orleans Bounce hadn't broken through yet. New Orleans Bounce had been around for a while. Juvenile had bounced with the Juvenile back probably in the early, mid-90s. And those were just regional uh, Louisiana songs. 97 had uh, Jubilee, Get It Ready, Get It Ready, Ready, you know. So they had that sound in New Orleans, but there was no internet, there was no TikTok. So these songs stayed regional. When Back That Ass Up came, it basically broke through and created a whole new subgenre that followed that, that you heard so many songs that, that sounded like that afterwards. So once you had that, that was the first breakthrough because, of course, How was the first single. Before that, before Cash Money took over, whatever, it was No Limit. No Limit had, you know, the Thinking About Shoes, the the Hootie Who, they had the, um, the, the you know, Make Them Say Uh, all those type songs. Once you had Back That Ass Up, it changed everything because bass was basically dead by this point. The last couple bass songs you had was like Shorty Swing My Way was probably, was that 98, I guess, 98 or so? So you had those, and those were still kind of more melodic versus like, the you know, Lathan Freaker was 97. By 98, you didn't really have booty shaking music. DMX came with the hip hop, uh, Bad Boy had the jiggy type music. When you had, after this juvenile, then you get the uh, immediate follow-up. The Hot Boys, I Need a Hot Girl. Then No Limit starts to take that style. They have Chopper style. They have Rock the Boat. Then you have Ying Yang Twins. They came from, uh, from Atlanta, and they took that whole style. They had the Whistle While You Twerk and Say I I I and then it's the Get Low, and then it's the all these songs that came from that. And it, it made New Orleans Bounce a, a nationwide thing that everybody else was like, what, what have we been missing out on? And it slowed down the whole tempo because before the whole the bass music was all 130, 145 BPM, they took it at 96 BPM, which is technically a slow BPM. That's the same BPM as Selfish from Slum Village, but they put that twerk and bounce to it, and it was a whole different level. And with that, that song was so transformational, just the way it comes in. I knew it had to be a sample. I'm like, there's no way that a rap producer created something so symphonic that's so catchy. Like They, they, they had to, to sample some some Bach or some Beethoven or something. But no, he, Manny Fresh was so creative that he actually took that, took that and actually like, he created that whole melody himself. That song is not really any samples aside from the little small horn hits in it. So they took that and the structure of the song, the way it builds up, the way that Wayne finishes after you back it up, then stop. And I'm going to stop right now and hand it back to you. But I feel like that, it's nothing touching that I feel like. Yeah, no, it, like I said, back that ass up is a great song. Um, I don't think it, it truly captures um, an entire uh, period in the way that Poison does. Like when you hear Poison, like you think about New Jack Swing, like you're in, you think about the height of that, that whole theme. You think sonically, um, even visually, you know, the aesthetics of it all with the the um, overalls and the cross colors and high top fades. And you think about that. Back that ass up. Yeah. You think about the booty shorts and the, uh, the coochie cutters, they call them. And you think about um, the, the girls in New Orleans with the, the, the hair, the tall hair and everything. But 
it you don't think like oh yeah no this is specifically the sound of mm, i mean it may be the sound of the city it may be the sound of new orleans at the time but you're not like oh this is the sound of a certain subgenre like it doesn't really capture um that essence i think also when talking about just like the lyrical contents of the songs when Ricky Bell comes in with it's driving me out of my mind, like that's the part if you are and you being a DJ, you know, you could turn the music all the way down and the crowd will sing it for you. Like the crowd will erupt in song. And it's one of those like family reunion experiences where everybody, you might not like the girl two doors or two people down from you dancing, but y'all both singing at the same time, you know, at the top of your lungs, trying to sound like Ricky Bell. Um, it's one of those songs that even now I would not look at someone sideways for riding down the street and hearing poison blasting because it's like, Oh, I understand. Like, is that, it's that type of day or that type of night, but it's not, even though it is a song that came out in 1990, I wouldn't say it sounds dated. I, I think it definitely just brings back the memory of the time. I mean, I get that. So I think I see it a polar opposite way as far as it does represent that era. When you hear it, you, f- you feel like you're in 1990. You feel like you have on the colorful outfit. On the flip side, with Back That Ass Up, that song came in 98, 99, but it... It it's so it was such a transformational song that you still hear songs today that sound just like it. So you still hear like City Girls twerk. You hear uh, Meg ride or die. Like it basically busted that New Orleans uh, bounce genre wide open to the point that you still hear so many songs that sound just like it, and you still play it when you play it. It's like I might have a set where I'm playing all new music, all new twerk songs. It, it might be even stuff from ten years ago. A ladies from Travis Porter. It might be whatever City Girls have. It might be. Um, Ken the Man, whatever, all these new twerk songs, and I'm gonna drop back to that stuff right next to those, and still go back to new stuff because it's like it doesn't it doesn't capture that era, but it captures that 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 essence of the twerk of this party music. I feel like when it came, like you hear it sampled so much too. You hear people take those bits and pieces. People still rap like Juvenile. It's like you hear so many imitation songs that try to be back that ass up. Like even when. Like no limit, they came out before Cash Money, and then after that, they they had to go back and rework their whole sound. They said we the new No Limit, and all the songs sounded just like back that ass up when they came back. They had songs that Master P was doing. He, he never made bounce, and he was from New Orleans. He never made a single bounce song until that song came, and he was like the hottest thing in the game for a quick second, ninety seven, ninety eight, especially from the south. But he had to rework his whole game based on really that song because Ha came and Ha was big. But when Back That Ass Up came, they had to change up everything. And it's where, and just the way that the, the, the structure of the song is, it's like the way that it builds up, it's like, you know you have about 15 seconds to get to the floor. As soon as you hear, don't, don't, it's like everybody's running to it. And you want to be able to be in twerk formation right when he says, girl, you're working with some. As soon as he says that in the beat drop, it's like you're already in that little squat formation and all that. And then you wait for the whole song. It's, it's one of those songs that Poison, you can just play one verse and you hype and you get off it. Back that ass up. You have to get to, to uh, I know you can't stand it. Then you have to get to that little wing after you back it up. You know, you have to get to that whole part. So I feel like the structure of the song, as long as it is, you have to play the whole song. Oh, she just, she said it's time, it's time. <laughs> I mean, yo, you make, yeah, yeah. you make great points because that I, listen, the 99 and the 2000 is still, uh, they are still goals for a lot of people. A lot of people still trying to, that song they reference when they talk about it. But that song still, to me, does not, it, it it doesn't live up to uh, 
what Poison is. Like you talked about the way um, that song has inspired um, the sound, not necessarily um, a certain subgenre, but definitely that sound and that era. Um, I mean, Bruno Mars, you know, did a whole New Jack Swing album. Like Finesse is basically, uh, I mean, it's basically Belle Bib DeVoe. I mean, it, it's it's taken from the same uh, book and um, having that sound evolve a little bit. And you're still doing it now, 30, 31 years later, as opposed to the Juvenile song, like, you know, it's a great song, but in that moment, like, it, it, it won't translate the same way. I mean, I feel like the thing about Bruno and everything about New Jack Swing to me, crazy enough is that Poison is the the biggest party song from that era, but it's not as melodic as most of the, the New Jack Swing. I feel like Bruno and them had a little bit more influence from Guy and even from, like, Remember, remember the Time, I would say personally, mm-hmm. but... But uh, beside that, I would just say back that ass up. One thing that is funny about it is that the clean version gave us the lines that we all say because the dirty version doesn't even have that. The clean one is the one that he came in and said Cash Money Records taking over because initially it dropped in 98, but he, he, re- right. he released it as a single 99. But either way, it's like the fact that you have epic lines from the clean version and you still, you rocking with either one, whether it's clean or dirty. And even though there's a twerk song that's saying what it's saying, I've seen grandmas get, you know, I've seen grandmas do it with the baby in the arm like Two Short said. I feel like whenever you hear that, come on, it's like, it don't matter what generation it is. And it crosses cultures. They both do, but I'll say back to that stuff does cross cultures. Uh, I've, I've played it at corporate events, and I've seen uh, Susan from HR and get get uh, get lit to it. So I feel like I would say I have to go with, I got to go with that juvenile, though. So that's <laughs> Susan from HR, though? Susan. Wow. Yep. Yep, Susan and you know Brad, Brad from you know down the hall, you know. Yeah. He got Bob he got high to it. Yeah, yeah, Bob from marketing. They have they they didn't know what beat that they, they clapped on the on the wrong beat. They clapped on the one and the three. That's but, to be expected. They they yeah. don't have it, but yeah, but, you know, but it's so many clap. claps. It's so many claps on that song. You can clap anywhere on that song. It's gonna work. So <laughs> that's the way. <laughs> my fault. My fault. All right. All right. All right. So at this point, I will hand this over to our producers, Melissa and the lady. I will let them. Um, you know, we all. If, if you aren't aware, and the lady has the concert experience that ties to every, all of our debates, everything so. that we've ever talked about on this show, she's been yep. to. Like, I remember one time we talked about um, Dorothy Dandridge, and she was like, "I remember <laughs> seeing Dorothy Dandridge live." So, it, you know, she is really our black music expert because she is everywhere all of the time. You know what? The disrespect. The disrespect. <laughs> Talking about trans transcending this one right yeah right. listen and she looked good too y'all she looked good <laughs> she's still doing it. she she's is not aged one it. bit not if that at all look like she in the from she's in her 30s woman is 105 <laughs> years old <laughs> she is 135 years old minus 100 like she Whoa. is there just rude um Melissa, you want to go i was waiting on your concert experience you don't you don't have anything to share uh I mean, I got one. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, know why it. you're we trying to skip over your segment. Right. Come on now. Um, let me see. So I, I, saw, I went to the Cash Money Rough Riders tour. And yes, that mm. was a moment. Um, mm. I have seen Belle Biv DeVoe a couple of times, though. And I've seen New Edition separately, you know, because they always separate it. Mm-hmm, but yeah. I, it's been some great moments. But it didn't really dictate who I'm going with this time. Um, I am going with Juvenile, though. 
for me, it was interesting because some of EB's arguments, I felt that way about the other song. And I'm like, uh, I don't feel that way. When I, when I think mm. of a moment, it's automatically 99-2000. I'm thinking of white tees. I'm thinking about the, the shorts <laughs> that, that have baggy jeans. I'm like, you can always throw that on. Um, and I, I, it's a little generational, I, I know, but in general, I still respect both songs as like automatic party starters or like getting people on the dance floor. But for me, you can't really beat that one. Like every type of event from a wedding to a corporate event, anything, throw on juvenile and the party's over. Um, and then I keep thinking of that video when Prince Harry was running away in a <laughs> <laughs> war. Why was he at war anyway? Why was he even at war? Like you're, you're a prince. are so creative, you know. They and, are. Now, and now that's a memory. I'm mad because, you know, he's not black and it's Black Music Month. But that's a memory that's to that a memory. song. So yeah. it's still the deal for me. There All right, is. we got we got one for uh, back that ass up so far. What's the what's the the criteria again for this? What's the the top? What's the greatest party record? Black music, rap, or R and B, or anything else since nineteen ninety, and that's the top okay. two picks that we both that selected. We had, yeah. So mm-hmm. if you think something else is better, I want to hear that afterwards. But no, uh, I don't. If not, I there's. Okay, okay. I mean, I think both these songs are spectacular. They both, you know, put a little patter in your heart when it comes on but only one of them really just makes gives me like the adrenaline to actually party and run to the dance floor it's them damn strings man and then, right right the strings coming on you know as when yeah. when they come on you you feel it like you feel it it's like it's like a call it's like it's like 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 an ancestral black yeah it's like i was thinking of lion king you know at the beginning (laughs) when they're holding simba up that's like exactly like you feel that everybody gathers everybody gathers around a arch is put in everyone's back (laughs) the arch in thy back and then as soon as that beat drop then you ready you ready i'm it's it's back that thing up like I, I, I don't mean, think I, mean, I don't I think there's I, I don't think it. there's another song that just does that for any like everyone where everybody. as soon as it comes on everybody kind of just stops and looks around to see where everybody meeting in the who's middle around you mm-hmm. who's around you, yeah. you yeah. and then you got to make sure up. that you that yes, you you and your homegirl looking at you like, you and your homegirl looking at each other in the face so you know who's behind you. Uh oh! God, make sure that, that, that little shake. Y'all you know, be shaking. You make that, How's that. He look. He look normal. He cool. He cool. Yeah, right, right, right. Thumbs up. Oh wow! Y'all yeah. just taught me something. I wasn't aware that. We oh yes, did yes. That, we look at each other in the eyes. You don't I even have aware. to do the thumbs up. We just That's see it in the eyes, and it's like. Oh wow! It's like go over okay. there. Move. Uh huh. Yep, oh, yep, yep. Uh, oh okay. Okay. <laughs> they do it. They do it. I've wow. seen. I've seen it in action. So I'm like, I got the approval. All right, I guess I look cool. Enough. My haircut work tonight. All right. right, I see it. I see it. So, hey, I mean, that's what it is. I, I feel like Poison is definitely, and like we said, they, they represent to, two eras of the '90s. But yeah, it's still crazy that the two biggest songs I would say since the ni- since 1990 are still from the '90s. Like, I think the other candidates up there for the 2000s. I'm saying Blow the Whistle is up there for the top three for that decade. I think Yeah was 
the biggest at the yeah. time, along with in the club. But those two, you don't really want to hear them as much now. The last 10 years, I would say, 10, 11 years, I would say No Hands for the 2010 and up. No Hands is probably the best from the 2010 up era. That's what I would say. But, yeah, I think that that Juvie just has to take it, I think. so. Well, congratulations on your win, sir. Uh, oh, you know, thank, I, thank I love you. the thank song, you. but I just, you know, it ain't it ain't my number one. I feel it. I feel it. What's going to happen is that whenever we see you at a party, I'm going to play both of them for you, and we're going to see what happens each time. We're going to see. my reaction. Okay. Yeah, I am. I am. We're going to see it. So it might depend on how much Hennessy you had. If you drink Hennessy. I, if you... I, well, if we play in Juvenile, yeah, I'm drinking Hennessy. Like, okay. You, there there it is, then. There it is. Well, we appreciate you all for tuning in. Once again, this was a special edition of Behind the Wheels, brought to you by myself, DJ Artistic, my co-host, E.B., in collaboration with the Weeksville Heritage Center. You all make sure to check them out at weeksvillesociety.org. Uh, thank you all for having us. Um, of course, it's Black Music Month, so you all salute to all the salute to all the black uh, musicians out there, past, present, and future. That's all this podcast is about, is uplifting all the musicians out there and trying to make strides as much as we can with that. So thank you all for being tuned in. We have a lot more in store for you. Follow me on social media at DJRTISTIC. That's on Twitter and Instagram. Catch me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash R-T-I-S-T-I-C 310. E-B, where can they find you at? Uh, you can find me at E-B for Prez. That's E-B, the number four, and then Prez is spelled P-R-E-Z as in zebra. And that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. I'm E-B for Prez. That's what it is. Uh, we also have, in our liner notes, we do have the Spotify playlist for y'all, which is going to have a little bit of everything we've mentioned today. That's that's Quick Stephanie Mills. That's Fouché. That's Griselda. That's... That's Juvenile, that's some BBD, all that for you. So make sure you check that um, that Spotify playlist. And thank you all for being tuned in. Until the next time, out. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Montz and the Lady Sec. And the music is provided by Epidemic Sound.